Well, good morning, uh, dear friends. It's uh, wonderful to be with you this morning. I'm very grateful to your pastors, to your elders, to allow me the opportunity to uh, teach Sunday school this morning and to bring uh, God's Word uh, to you. You are very uh, dear to us, um, church family of First Scots here in Beaufort. You're very dear to us indeed. Our time uh, last summer was very, very precious to us as a family, very formative in many ways, and that's because of your kindness and goodness to us. So it's wonderful to be with you. Thank you so much for having us back today. Please turn in your Bibles then to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 to 12. It is printed for you in your uh, bulletin, but if you have a copy of God's Word, I would uh, encourage you to open it uh, and and turn Mark 2 there. We're going to turn to one or two other places in Mark's Gospel this morning, so you may find it useful to have uh, a Bible open before you, but it's printed uh, in your bulletin if you need it. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Uh, I'll read God's Word, uh, and then I'll pray and ask God's help for us. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And when he, uh, that is Jesus, when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Amen. Let's ask God's help as we turn to his word. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we pray, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In one sense, Heavenly Father, that is a very simple prayer to ask, but in, uh, on the other hand, it is so profound for we cannot turn to your word and meet the Lord Jesus unless you meet us by your spirit. We need you, O Heavenly Father, send your spirit to show us Christ. Wherever our ears are, 
blocked, would you unblock them? Wherever our eyes are covered with scales, would you remove them? Wherever our hearts are hard, would you soften them? That we would behold our Savior and fall down before him in worship and praise and glorifying him. We long to hear you, Lord Jesus. Speak to us now, we pray, and we ask this in your name. Amen. What would you say is the greatest need in the United States today? What would you say is the greatest need across these United States today? What is the greatest need in the West? What would you say is the greatest need across the world? Is it to reduce inflation? We're certainly all feeling it at the gas pumps, are we not? The prices begin to soar. Is it to bring costs of living back down in other ways as we think of our electric prices or gas at home, whatever it is, all these utility bills that we have going up as well? Is it to bring those things down? Is it to make our schools safer? Is it to get the right Supreme Court justices appointed to the bench or to get the right members of Congress, representatives, those being voted for in November's midterms? Is it to get the right people elected there? Is it to deal with racism, to deal with gun violence, to deal with poverty? Is it to reduce our carbon footprint? We hear lots about that these days as well, don't we? What is the greatest need in America today? What is your greatest need sitting here this morning? What is my greatest need? We're all sitting here this morning with needs, aren't we? We're all at different stages of life. We all come here with different needs before us this morning. Perhaps as you uh, sit here this morning, it's your health. There's an ache in in your back or your legs, something that you just can't shift. you're, You're waiting on a letter from your doctor to come through, waiting on some test results. Someone's taken bloods. There's something not quite right. I'm I'm waiting on that. I need to know about my health. Perhaps it's employment. People are being laid off at work. The job market's difficult. I need to find work, provide for my family. There's a need there. Perhaps it's other financial issues. Perhaps it's friendship. Ah, My long friend, my longest standing friend at school or at college or someone, my neighbors, we've fallen out. Things are hard. There's a need for reconciliation. Perhaps it's our marriages this morning are in a rocky and a rough place. Perhaps it's things with children or aging parents or whatever it is. We all have needs here this morning. What is our greatest one? What is our greatest need here in the United States? What is your greatest need? What is mine? Well, friends, this morning, this passage gives us an answer to that question. It gives us an answer to it. It's a little bit like a set of lenses or a pair of binoculars that you put on and you just adjust the focus to help us see right, to help us see clearly. And here, Jesus is very gracious and recorded for us in Mark's gospel. Jesus graciously, graciously shows us our greatest need. And in showing us our greatest need, he also shows us that he alone can meet it. And so as we walk through this passage this morning, that is the first of three questions I want to ask that I think the passage has for us here. Three questions with three surprising answers. The first one is, is, what, is what do we need? What is our greatest need? The, the second question we're going to come to this morning then is, as, and where do we find it? Or where do we find that need met? 
And then the third question is then, how are we going to respond to all of that? How are we going to respond? We're coming to a familiar passage, aren't we? For many of us, if we've been around church, the healing of the paralytic in Mark is a familiar passage. But I hope with fresh eyes and by God's gracious spirit this morning, we're reminded of the goodness uh, in God and all that Christ does here for this paralytic and all that he holds out to us as well. So three questions. What do we need? Where do we find it? And how are we going to respond? Firstly, what do we need? What is our greatest need? Well, I think this passage shows for us that our greatest need is forgiveness. That each person's greatest need is that they would know their maker, that they would know their creator, they would know God in heaven who made them and have that relationship restored. I think we see that here. So where, where do we see that? Well, the first part of this narrative in Mark chapter 2 centers on a huge surprise, doesn't it? This man, the paralytic who's brought to Jesus' house, doesn't initially, at least, he doesn't initially at least get what he wants or or get what he thinks he's there for. Look at verse 1. Jesus is in Capernaum. It's reported he's at home. And what's he doing? He's preaching. He's preaching to them. He's bringing the word to them. And and we see the house is full, verse 2. There's no more room, not even at the door. It's a pack out. It's a total pack out. The house is full. And we see in verse uh, 3 and 4 that some friends, four friends, being this paralytic man. And they can't get Jesus, and so they decide to go up to the roof. They make a hole in the roof to lower Jesus through. Now, it's interesting. You read some of the commentaries here, and, you know, some of them are like, you know, these houses, they're designed for that, and this is just kind of a normal thing, and I'm kind of reading this thinking, they're making a hole in the roof. It seems like quite a big deal, right? It, someone starts drilling through the hole here, and the, the roof here, and to bring someone down. I, I think your pastors, those who are responsible for the building, are going to have some pretty big questions to ask, right? He's making a hole in the roof. It's a big deal. There's someone coming through the roof. These friends are desperate to get their friend, the paralytic, to Jesus, and he's lured in in verse 4, we see that he's lured in, they make an opening, he's right before Jesus. And what do we expect it to say? If we were to stop it at verse 4 and I said to you, fill in the rest of the story, what would you think happened? You would think it would say something like, and Jesus, seeing the man's legs don't work, healed them. Or said to the man, get, get up and walk, your, your legs are better. But Do you see the surprise? That is not what Jesus says, verse 5. Jesus sees their faith. He says to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. He sees their faith. He sees that they've come there to get something from Jesus. They know they need something only Jesus can give. So do you see it? Jesus does not give this man initially something that he's there for. Maybe it's my kind of Scottish sense of humor. We we have quite a dry sense of humor. If if this was in Scotland, you can sort of see the men sort of giving each other a little elbow and kind of joking, saying, "Ah, good one, Jesus! Right, come on." We, you know, we look. He he can't walk. But no, Jesus is absolutely serious. The need that this man has in that moment, primarily, ultimately, is not the use of his legs. It is that his sins are washed away. It's that the blood of Jesus would wash his sins away, that he is forgiven. His greatest need before everyone's eyes is he can't walk, and Jesus sees his greatest need is the forgiveness of his sins. Jesus knows better. Now again, think about it for this man. The the use of his legs would have brought so much freedom. 
most likely employment, an easier life, maybe a family. It literally would have opened the world up to him. Just think about this world even that we live in. Think of all the needs that I said at the start. Safer schools, reduced crime, reduced inflation. Personally, we're all sitting here today with needs in our life, finances, family health, whatever it is. But I think Jesus here is showing us, and Mark has recorded for us, that that no material prosperity is more important than the forgiveness of sins. As important as material need is, Jesus is showing there's something greater. He's showing there's something greater. Now, friends, don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. All those things I listed at the start, the needs that we have across our nation, the needs that we have in our own life, those are very important. The Bible has lots to say about them. Think about how pressing those things are. Jesus cares about those things. Jesus is about to go on and heal this man, is he not? We, we don't hate our bodies. We're going to have a bodily resurrection. No, Jesus teaches us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. We prayed it at the start of the service. No, our physical needs, our material needs are very important. They're very important. The use of this man's legs for him was very important. And so think how important forgiveness, right, restored relationship with God must be for Jesus to do that first. For him to say that is the top of the list. And so, friends, our our ultimate need, our ultimate problem is that we're separated from God by sin. And so, our ultimate need is not to be rid of our maladies, but to be reconciled with our maker. And so, it helps put perspective, I hope, for us on this world that the problem of our age is not COVID-19 or transgenderism or environmentalism or expressive individualism or any other isms that you can think of. The question of our age is forgiveness. We need the Lord Jesus. We need the Lord Jesus. And the, the order of events here, the fact that this man is forgiven before he's healed, shows us that. What is our greatest need? It is forgiveness. And that's what Jesus holds out to this man. Okay, that's our first question. What's our second question then? Our second question is, uh, where can that be found? Where can that be found? And, and that can only be found, forgiveness then is only found in Jesus. It's only found in Jesus. Uh, look, at, look at verse 6 there. Look at verse 6. Some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So those in the crowd in Jesus' house as he's preaching, there's scribes there, there's Pharisees, there's teachers of the law, uh, and they're unhappy with what Jesus has done. They're unhappy. But Jesus perceives in his spirit, it goes on to say, well, what's easier to uh, to say to this man, your sins are forgiven, verse nine, or to say, take up your bed and walk. And so what does Jesus do here? He says to the man, get up and walk. And of course, the implication of Jesus' logic here is that, well, with the what's the easier question is, forgiveness is is easier to say, isn't it? Because you say it, but it's not before your eyes. And so Jesus' logic is, no, look, if this man now can stand up and walk, then he must be forgiven. And so do you see the title Jesus uses uses for himself here in verse 10? 
what title does he take upon himself? But that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus here is elevating himself to God. It's as simple as that. He's claiming divinity for himself. The Son of Man is the divine title used in Daniel 7, and it's 14 times here in Mark, only on Jesus' lips, and he's saying, I alone have authority to forgive sins. Our greatest need is forgiveness, and Jesus saying, I alone can do that as the God-man here on earth. That's what we need. We need forgiveness. We need forgiveness, and we need to come to Jesus for it. Friends, that is, the, that is the whole of the problem that Mark's gospel sets up for us. He sets it up, and Mark says to us at the end of the day, the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. At the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. Jesus walks on stage to show and to give us forgiveness. That's what he wants to do. He wants to, he wants to offer this world forgiveness. Just look at the start uh, of Mark's uh, gospel with me here. Just look at the start of Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, if you have a Bible before you. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark has Jesus walk on stage here, and the first words on Jesus' lips. Jesus is the, uh, the Son of God, and the first words put on Jesus' lips in verse 14 are this. Look down to verse 14. Jesus says this, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? That's what Mark sets up. He sets up Jesus to come and to hold out forgiveness. Repent and believe. So may the Lord Jesus and his response to this man this morning remind us that the mission of the church uh, the church of Christ, the bride of Christ, the, bless, the biggest blessing we can be to Beaufort, to South Carolina, to, to this nation is to remind people their greatest need is forgiveness, and that alone is found in Jesus. For those of you, dear friends, who are doing the VBS uh, this week, the Vocation Bible School, I, I pray that as you look at this paralytic being healed here and what Jesus does, uh, that, that this story is a real encouragement to you. This passage is a real encouragement to you. Y you are all going to be part of making Christ known to these children this week, and that is the greatest news that you can tell them. It's the greatest news that you can build them up with. It's the greatest news in all the earth. Yes, this week there'll be um, band-aids probably needing to be put on at points. There'll be uh, crafts needing cut out. There'll be snacks to be given. There'll be juice needing poured. And all of that is working together to put the Savior of the world before these children as you teach them, to put them before their eyes and ears. Jesus said, let the little children come to me, for they need him. They need him just like every adult, just like everyone in this world. And so, friends, what a great privilege this week. As you teach these children, as you give them Christ, you are giving them the, th the very thing they need, the very person they need to meet. And so we need forgiveness, and it can only be found in Jesus. That's what verse 10 is saying. The Son of Man has authority to give sin, to forgive sin. It's only in Jesus. When we wanted to come to uh, the United States here to study, I needed uh, a visa. 
And if I needed a visa to study in the United States, well, we had to go through uh, the US embassy, for they alone could issue it. There would be no use going to the Italian embassy or the Swiss embassy or the Canadian embassy. No, we're, we're coming to the United States, so they alone have the authority to give us a visa. When I first arrived here, I needed a social security number. Well, that was an experience in itself, and you can ask me about that afterwards. Wow. But you've got to go to the, the right office to do that. There's no use going to the DMV. There's no use me trying to get that back in Scotland. No, no, you've got to be here. You've got to go to the right place. And when I've sinned against God, almighty God of heaven and earth, I, I don't look inside myself for the answers. I don't look to wooden or carved images. I don't look to false gods, to Allah, to Buddhism, to Zeus, no political party or movement. No, when I sin against almighty God, I come to Christ and Christ alone for forgiveness, for the Son of Man alone has authority to forgive sins. So, what do we need above all? Forgiveness. And where do we find it? In Christ alone. We find it in Christ alone. He alone has the authority to forgive sins. And you know, dear friends, dear friends, when we come to Jesus for forgiveness, we really, really are forgiven. Here on earth, we are forgiven. Do you see those words at the end? That the Son of Man has authority, verse 10, on earth to forgive sins. When we come to Jesus and ask him to wash us clean, we really are forgiven. That is what Pastor Walton really emphasized earlier, didn't he, in the assurance of pardon? He said, these words, dear Christian, if your man walked out, verse 11, verse 12, as he walked out before them, he was a forgiven man. For those of you today who are in Christ know you're really forgiven. Your greatest need has been met. It has been met in Christ, and we can rest in him. Uh, last year, when I was with you uh, on the Wednesday evening prayer meetings, we were looking through the Westminster Confession of Faith, and I think one of the questions that I was given to look at one Wednesday evening was uh, Christ's priestly work, which Pastor uh, Mark was speaking about just a moment ago. And it was on Christ's priestly work, and it was question 25, and I looked at it with you a year ago, and I know you'll all have it totally memorized by now, and you just remember word for word what I said that evening. No, right. Here's what it says, question 25. Christ executeth the office of a priest in his once offering of himself as a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and to reconcile us to God and in making continual intercession for us. And friends, you're getting it both this morning. Because Pastor Mark earlier just emphasized we pray because of Christ, because of his priestly work. And here I want to emphasize to you the first part of that, that Christ executeth his office of a priest in his once offering himself a sacrifice for sin. It's finished. Christ only did that once. He continues to pray and he prays for us even now. But his sacrifice is atoning work. It is done. It's finished. Complete. I don't know if you ever get that feeling leaving for work or leaving for a vacation. Uh, sometimes on a Friday, I used to get it. You, you come home or you're driving down the road in the car on the way to vacation, and you think, you just think to yourself, did, did, did I finish that last bit of work? Did, did I pack that thing that I needed to pack? Sometimes when I used to work, I used to work as a teacher for a while, and uh, I would be walking home from school, and I would just think in my mind, have I, have I really finished all that I needed to do? And once or twice, I'd phone back the office knowing there was someone there or a colleague, could you just check my classroom? Have I done it? 
and they'd run into the classroom. Yes, you sent the email, you filed what you needed to file, whatever it was, and the relief, oh, it's done. I'm off for the weekend. Oh, it's done. I'm off for vacation. Friends, oh, it's done. Christ is our sacrifice for sin. We are forgiven in him. Born again, if you have repented and believed and trusted on Christ, you are forgiven. Friends, all the world may be spinning around us. It may be spinning around us this morning. Our health, our work, bereavement, sense of loss. This is what Pastor Mark said right at the start. Our world may be spinning, but Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The fundamental reality, your greatest need is met. You are forgiven in Christ if you've trusted him. You have a high priest. He's made atonement for you. He's praying for you, and you only come to Jesus uh, for that forgiveness. So what is our greatest need? Forgiveness. It's forgiveness. Where do we find it? In Christ alone. In Christ alone. In no other place. He is the Son of Man. He is the God-man who's come to make a way for us to know the Father. And so what is our response to all this? That's question three. You'll notice we haven't pushed on that too hard. What is our response to all this? Well, I want us to look at our response by looking at the response to Jesus uh, in this passage. We've got the three responses, the scribes, the crowd, and then just the response of the man himself. So let's look at these uh, three responses to the events. We've kind of skipped over them so far, and I'd like us to look at them. So the first response is that of the scribes. Do do you see what happens with the scribes? Look at verse 7. The the question of the scribes, really, or, or verse 6 even, some of the scribes were sitting, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit, they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, So so as we have the scribes before us, their response isn't genuine question. It's not after church, Pastor, I just, I missed that point. Could you just give me a little more? Or Pastor, I'm just working through some of the the faith here. Can you help me? No, this is questioning that's trying to get one over on Jesus. They're, They're unhappy with what he has done here. And their response here is actually beginning to show how hard their hearts are towards him. It's how hard their hearts are. And I want to show you, because we're just doing a one-off this morning, I want to show you this over what happens over the next kind of five blocks of narrative in Mark. The the next five blocks of narrative. Because what we have here is the first of five events where Jesus and the, the scribes start to have more conflict. So, so we saw it there in 2.7. Look at 2.16. I'll read it, but if you have a Bible, 2.16, this is the second one. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So that's the second one. Again, they're trying to get one over on Jesus. They're unhappy with him. Then we get it in 2.18. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and the people came to him and said, why do John's disciples uh, and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't? So, there's more conflict coming there. Uh, Look with me at 2.24. Sorry, uh, let's skip down to 3.1. Skip down to 3.1. And again, he entered the synagogue, and there was a man with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see if he would heal them, so that they might accuse him, so that they might accuse him. They want to accuse Jesus. 
And what's the culmination of these five blocks of narrative? What's the culmination? 3.6. Mark 3.6. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him on how to destroy him. On how to destroy him. As the Pharisees watch what's happened to the paralytic, and as Mark gives us these narratives, we're seeing a bit of a snowball effect that at the end of all this, the Pharisees' hearts at the end of it say they want to kill Jesus. So friends, we skipped over it at the time, but, but as we look at 2, 7, and 9, what we have here, really at the heart of all this, is, is a theological issue. The scribes have a theological problem with Jesus forgiving sins because of what it reveals about the character of God, namely that God saves sinners. Now, notice these men are theologically right. Only God forgives sins, but their hearts are rock solid. They're rock solid to see that Jesus is the one as the Son of Man who has authority to save. You see, in this story, we think the biggest problem is that the legs of the paralytic don't work. But there's another problem here, and that's the spiritual hearts of these Pharisees don't work. The, The paralytic's legs don't have feeling, but the Pharisees and scribes, their hearts don't. Their their hearts have no feeling, whereas the the paralytic, his heart is all after Jesus, cast upon him. And we see there's a great problem with the hearts of these Pharisees and scribes. Theologically right, but with hearts closed off to Jesus. And I think they hate Jesus. They want to destroy him, 3 verse 6, because of what Jesus doing here reveals about the character of God and what it reveals about them, that they're dirty, they're naked, they need forgiven by God. Do do you see it? In admitting that God saves sinners, they would first have to admit that they're sinners. And admitting that God saves sinners, they have to see that they're sinners. And their hearts are hard. They have a strong arm to that. No, push away from that. And so, friends, as we look at the Pharisees, I would encourage you then to guard your hearts. Guard our hearts, lest we end up rejecting the one who today we confess. It's a danger to us all, perhaps particularly men like me. You can become theologically right, but with hearts made of stronger granite that actually push God away. And, And we know it happens The halls of all the British, the great British divinity schools and colleges are full of people that know their Bibles, they know their Greek, they know their Hebrew, but they don't know Jesus. Trace the history of old Princeton College and seminary. It's the same story. And that's why we never grow out uh, of praying. We never outgrow of praying, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lord's Day confession, reminders of the gospel or grace are so precious and so needed. What was Martin Luther's first point on his 95 theses? When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers be one of repentance. And why did he say that? Because if it doesn't, we, our hearts grow hard like these men here. So the Pharisees are a warning that we must never let our hearts grow cold And never let our Christianity just be something that makes us look good or fills a few hours on a Sunday morning or gives us a kind of self-righteous moral air in what we perceive to be an immoral world. No, these men are a warning to us. They're a warning to us and they say to us, Lord, please, please keep our hearts near to you, Lord Jesus. 
So the, the scribes eventually want to kill, uh, kill Jesus. And, and what's the second reaction here then? We have the crowd. Look at the response to the crowd of all this. Uh, verse 12, chapter 2, verse 12. And the man rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Now, now I would say to you, if we had a kind of traffic light system that the, the scribes become a little bit of a red light, here, here we maybe have a little bit of, a, of an amber one. It, it, it looks kind of positive. It says they're going out, they're saying, wow, this is, this is amazing. They're glorifying God, it's good. But we never saw anything like this. I, I would contend to you as saying, they're not quite there. Now, we want to be gracious to them all, this is early in Jesus' ministry, but they're not quite there. Jesus has just claimed the authority of God that he is the son of man, the one written about back in Daniel, that, that he is the son of man with the authority to forgive sins. And, and friends, that is, is scandalous. If I greet you this morning after the service and start saying to you, you say, Ben, how's your time in Beaufort? And I say, well, before we get there, I want to tell you your sins are forgiven them, and I've just right? Your pastors are going to tackle me out to the parking lot before I can say low country boil, right? I can't say, I don't say those things to you. You think you, you can't say that. You're a screw loose trainer. You can't say that. There, there's nothing left holding you together. No, these claims are huge. What Christ has done and claimed it doesn't get any bigger. And although it says they're glorifying God, what are they missing? They're not falling on their knees in worship before Jesus, before God, who is right before their faces. They're right before God. The Son of God is right there, the Son of Man. And they're not falling down in worship of Him. They're positive, but not flat on their faces, confessing their sin, coming to Christ as they should be. Jesus has done something remarkable, but I think their response says to us, they're asking, is it for, is it for them? It, it was for that paralytic, but is it for them? And, and so it's worth asking ourselves this morning then, a little bit like the crowd here, it's worth asking ourselves this morning, are we kind of coasting in our face, in our faith? Is Christianity, it's good for them, and I don't mind being on the fringes a little bit, but I don't know that I can fall down in my face and worship the Lord Jesus. Are we coasting? Or, or do we love Jesus enough that we tear the roof of a house to get to him? Is our faith like that of these four friends who would tear the roof off of a house to get to Jesus, to get others to Jesus? The, the crowd asks us, are we just along for the ride, or are we willing to do anything to have Jesus, to be near to Jesus? Is Jesus a kind of sort of a, a sideshow in my life? I like seeing how he's working in other people's lives, but I, I just need to keep him at a bit of an arm's distance for me. If you asked me to dispense with my boat or to dispense with Jesus, it would be a close-run thing. Or can we sing the old hymn? The old hymn, I, I'm sorry, I don't know if it's in the Trinity hymnal, but do you know the old hymn? Take the world, but give me Jesus. Take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name, but his love abides forever through eternal years the same. Oh, the height and depth of mercy. Oh, the length and breadth of love. Oh, the fullness of redemption, the pledge of endless life above. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Would we tear the roof of a house to get to Jesus today? 
And so that really takes us back to the start. That takes us back to the start in our third response, the response of this man. This man and his friends, they come to Jesus, they tear the roof off the house, and they come in because they know that he has a problem that only Jesus can fix. Only Jesus can fix. That's what Christ longs for, us to come to him and say, Lord, I need you. I need you. We are broken in a way that only Jesus can fix. Those around us have a need that only Jesus can fix. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, and and you may not yet believe in Jesus, then I would say to you, come to him this morning as this man, as this man, come to Jesus and say, I need you. We may not have it all worked out theologically. Your pastors can help you with that later. Come to him this morning. Or let me show you the reaction of Levi, chapter 2, verse 13, just after this. Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching. And he passed by. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose, and he followed him. And friends, if you don't know the Lord Jesus this morning, that's what he calls you to, to rise, to follow him. For he alone, he alone can forgive your sin. He alone makes you right. He alone makes your great, meets your greatest need. So he says to all of us today, he says to all of us to pick up our mats and to follow him. Children, those of you who are here and younger, Jesus wants you to follow him. Those of you who are here because a friend brought you, Jesus wants you to follow him. Those of you here because your spouse brought you along this morning, Jesus wants you to follow him to the authority of Jesus here. Look at the authority of Jesus. This isn't a small Jesus. This is Jesus claiming the authority of God, saying, I alone can forgive you. And we have to take Jesus on his terms or not at all. There's no halfway house. The world always wants to take a halfway house. There's no halfway house. He is Lord, lunatic, or liar. And Jesus here says, I am Lord. Follow me. Follow me. And so, you know, as everyone heads home that night, I wonder what Jesus is thinking. Imagine Jesus standing in his house. He's watching the crowds disperse, and he's watching the paralytic skipping, singing home to his friends or his family. I I wonder what Jesus is thinking. Perhaps the first thing he's thinking is he hopes it doesn't rain that night because he's got a big hole in his roof that he's got to fix. But, But I wonder if he's thinking something else. Surely he knows that as that man picked up his mat and walked out the door, that Jesus soon would be picking up not a mat, but a cross, picking up a cross, that that man, the paralytic, and all who trust in Jesus would be forgiven by Christ going to the cross to be nailed there for our sin. That is the hope that we offer this world. That is the hope that Christ holds out to the world. We need forgiveness. It's our greatest need. Christ alone forgives, and he alone shed his blood to wash us clean. That's what we sung before we started, didn't we? Maybe it feels like a long time ago now, but that's what we sung. What can wash away my sin? Nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's what we hold out to our children this week at VBS. It's what we hold out to our colleagues and neighbors. We say, love the one who washes you clean. Love the Lord Jesus who picked up his cross, who went to the cross for us, that we might know our Father in heaven and be forgiven. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your compassion for sinners that you would come 
to this world to seek and to save the lost. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you went to the cross that we might be forgiven. We thank you so much for all that you have done for us. And we pray in light of all that you've done for us, you would help us to live lives that honor you, that would hold out the gospel to those around us, and would know that you are the only hope of this world. It is in Christ alone, in Christ alone, that our hope is found. You are our strength. You are our song. You alone do we worship. And we pray uh, that you would uh, be close to us, Lord Jesus, and ever before our eyes, both this day and into the rest of the afternoon and the week that lies ahead. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Before we close our service then this morning, let us um, respond to God's Word as we sing together uh, the hymn in Christ alone. It's printed in your bulletin uh, just over the page there. And so please stand as we respond to God's Word.
received a wonderful reminder this morning from the Gospel of Mark that it's only in Christ, in Christ alone, that we find forgiveness of sins. And it's in Christ alone that you, those who have been redeemed by his blood, can now receive this benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.